Well, the more time I spend on Paul's letter to Timothy, the more I get a sense of urgency in which he writes this letter. And it really makes sense if we think about the context with which he's writing. Here he is alone in solitary confinement in prison, awaiting his death. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be executed. And, and Timothy is like the son he never had. As a single man, he was, he was unmarried. He had lots of children in the faith, but none of his own. But Timothy, Timothy had a special place in his heart. So you know that his, he wrote these words and, and considered the fact that these would likely be his very last words. He chose them very carefully. And although Timothy was very faithful in ministry, it's easy to get discouraged. And what we know of what's going on in the church of Ephesus, both now and what is to come, and that is that people are leaving the church. <laughs> that there are those who are false teachers who are literally teaching wrong things and then taking people with them out of the church. We also know that directly in this context that there is persecution of Christians throughout the then known world. And so many were going into hiding. So what that means for Timothy is that on Sunday mornings he'd look out there and see a lot of empty seats. And probably wonder himself, is what I'm doing making any difference at all? And so Paul is writing to encourage Timothy to be bold in what he believes, to stand firm in his faith, to don't back down. This past summer, uh, Graham had a team camp for his basketball team at Oklahoma State University. There were hundreds and hundreds of teams there. And I'll have to admit that there were games that I would watch these teams get onto the court that would be playing Graham's team, and I would look at them and think, oh, no, this is not going to be good. I mean, big, athletic. I mean, they were reverse dunking in the warm-ups. I'm thinking, this is not going to be pretty. Because we were pretty small in comparison. But I was often surprised at how well Graham's team would do when they stayed focused and were not intimidated by their opponents. When they just stuck to their game plan and did what they did best, very often they would overcome great odds as long as they weren't distracted and stayed confident in what they believed. I think in many ways that's what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. The opponents to Christianity at this time were very intimidating. They wielded lots of power. It was tempting to hide your faith and to don't let your faith stand out so that others might see it. And so Paul is writing to encourage Timothy. Timothy, stay in the game. Stay in the game. Don't get distracted by how intimidating your opponent may be because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Stand firm in what you believe to be true. I think Paul continues that encouragement. When he continues this letter. Look at verse 13 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13. He says, Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling Timothy, retain the standards. In other words, don't lose your grip on what you know to be true. Hold firmly. In the original language, that word standard is kind of a, it means sketch. It's like an outline drawing before the details were put in. And what Paul is telling Timothy is, look, be yourself. Be who God created you to be. You don't have to parrot everything that I had to say. 
you know how God has worked in your life. Speak out of the experience of your own walk with Christ. But be true to the message. Stand firm on the gospel. In other words, don't preach the same sermon, but always share the same message. Keep it centered on Christ. Retain the standard of the gospel. I read a statement in social media this week that said this. It said, be very suspicious of pastors and teachers who rarely mention Jesus. (laughs) That's a true statement. And in fact, I would ask you to hold me accountable to that. Be very suspicious of pastors and teachers who rarely mention the name of Jesus. See, when Christianity loses its popularity, there's a temptation to water down the message. So that we speak about love and joy and peace and prosperity. But apart from Christ, every single one of those things is an empty pursuit. Because we know Christ is our peace. That we have no hope apart from Him. We know love only because He first loved us. Jesus didn't come just to set a good example for us to follow. He came to give us what we cannot have apart from Him. Remember, He is the vine. We are the branches. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. The blessings of God that we all long for must flow out of a life that is centered on faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wants Timothy to retain this standard, to teach the next generation to focus and center their lives on Christ. We don't need a new angle. We don't need a new perspective. Remember, God is not boring, right? And yet, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we don't have to come up with something new to impress someone. Preach the gospel. Center on Christ. That's where our hope is found. Inspirational messages may sell books. They may draw large crowds. But only Jesus Christ transforms lives. That's where we center our hope. That's what he's encouraging Timothy, to stand firm, retain that standard of truth. Look at how he continues in verse 14. Guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Retain the standard and now guard the treasure. I want to suggest to you here, as we consider what this means, that we, the diligence with which we regard a treasure is directly attributed to the value we place on that treasure, right? So if you come up to me and you hand me a candy wrapper and you say, hey, hold this for me, just keep it. I might say yes until I find a trash can and then I'm going to throw it away because it's not worth anything. I'm not guarding that. But if you come up to me and hand me your great-grandmother's wedding ring... <laughs> Now, I'm not going to throw that away because that's valuable. I'm going to guard it. The diligence with which we guard the treasure is directly attributed to the value we place on that treasure. Now, would you agree that the promise of eternal life is valuable? That's the treasure that we guard. We're the next generation of Christian disciples. That's the message we share. Not just in what we say, but we proclaim that message ultimately 
and how we live. We guard the treasure by centering our life on Christ so that instead of seeking approval from our peers, we find acceptance in the grace of God. Instead of accumulating treasures on earth, we trust in a heavenly reward. Instead of worldly compromise, we live with spiritual integrity. We're the same even when no one else is looking. The life we live reflects the treasure we protect. Ultimately, our treasure is a transformed life through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a work of the Spirit, as Paul tells us, that indwells us. That's where the treasure is. We guard the treasure by protecting the integrity of the message, both in what we say and in how we live. We guard the treasure not by hiding it. In fact, by putting it on display. By letting people see the story of transformation that continues to take place in our life. Our story is not one of something that we've done to arrive at perfection. Our story is a story of being perfected by the love and grace and forgiveness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, I guard the treasure by letting it shape my life. By submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit so that I have a story to tell. That isn't about me and my good works, but it's about Him and His great work on the cross on my behalf. I want to live in a way that puts the gospel on display. That's Paul's point. Look at how he continues in verse 15. It says, you are aware of the fact that all, of, uh, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Vigelis and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him, uh, to him to find mercy from the Lord on the day, and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You see, after giving Timothy some encouragement, Paul wants to kind of further make his point by giving him some examples, some, some case examples of what he's calling him to live out. And he starts out with the bad examples <laughs> those who have abandoned the faith, people like Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, thankfully, that's the only time those names are mentioned in the Bible, so we don't have to repeat them over and over, right? We don't really know anything beyond this context, but what we do know is that both Paul and Timothy knew them well because all he had to do was say their name. And he knew the history already. And very likely, it was a painful history. I think in verse 15, we get a glimpse of some of the emotion that Paul is experiencing while he's in prison. Notice he says, all who were in Asia turned from me. Everyone. Now think about that. Ephesus is in Asia. Timothy is in Ephesus. So that's not everyone. We also know Aquila and Priscilla were in Ephesus as well. They were very faithful to the gospel and to the ministry of the work. <laughs> but you see, in moments of discouragement, our feelings are often exaggerated. And I think for Paul, it probably felt like everyone. Yes, he's an apostle, a faithful man of God, but he's also human. And he felt the pain of those 
who had abandoned him. He hurt deeply because he loved deeply. You see, Paul had an unusual capacity for friendships. In fact, if you look at the letter to the Romans at the very end, you're going to find a list of some 30 people that he sends greetings to in Rome. Now, keep in mind that when Paul wrote that letter, he'd never been to Rome. These were people that he had met within the context of his ministry, and they weren't just passing acquaintances. These were intimate friends because he invested deeply. I think we get a picture of that. You don't need to turn there, but just this is one of my favorite passages because I think it's one that calls us to this same life in ministry. This is what he says. Having thus a fond affection of you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Do you see what he's saying? These aren't just passing acquaintances. These are meaningful relationships that he invested deeply in. And I'm thankful that in our church family, we have lots of examples of this. But there's one in particular for me that really stands out. And that's Mr. Byron Tapp. I've known Byron for many years. And I've never seen one man invest so deeply into so many people's lives. He's a faithful friend. And that was Paul. That was Paul. He was a faithful friend, investing deeply into people's lives, which is why when those friends betrayed him, it hurt so deeply. But to make matters worse, what we learn is that these friends not only abandoned Paul while he was in prison, but they actually used it against him. We, we know from the New Testament letters that there were those in the church who were teaching a false gospel, a, a different message than what Paul was proclaiming. And, and so when Paul was in prison, all it did was validate their point. See, we're right, he's wrong. They didn't retain the standard. They didn't guard the trust, and here's why. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about them and how many they could get to follow them. And all they did when they saw Paul in prison was say, see, if he was right, God wouldn't be punishing him like he obviously is. Come, follow us. So now do you see how painful it would have been for Paul to see those people he had invested in so deeply not only stab him in the back, but twist it by using it against him. That's the emotion that Paul is experiencing. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, to love is to be vulnerable. If you don't want to get hurt, don't give your heart to anyone, including a cat including your own pets. You see, that wasn't an option for Paul. Somebody made a comment about cats, I bet. <laughs> We're not going to get into that debate because I know there are some very strong cat lovers here. All right? But thankfully, those two examples are not the only examples, right? These are people that Paul had invested in and, and they had abandoned him. And he loved deeply and so it hurt deeply. But there are also good examples. People like Onesiphorus. He was a man that Paul said often refreshed him, was unashamed of him, and eagerly searched for him. He was the example that Paul is laying forth for Timothy and then ultimately for the next generation of Christian disciples, which would include you and I. And to kind of put this into perspective, I want you to look at it this way. 
I want you to think of the, the pastor who was imprisoned in Iran, Pastor Saeed. Okay? I want you to think about him for a minute. And I, wanna, I want you to consider that in this moment, you felt compelled to go visit him. You felt compelled that as a preacher of the gospel, uh, under the enemy's territory, you wanted to go see him. Now, what would it take for that to happen? Do you have any idea about that foreign country, Iran? Do you have any idea about where the prison, where he might be uh, held? So when you go there, what are you going to do? You're going to have to ask around a lot. Where's Pastor Saeed? Where can I find him? And every time you do, they will look at you with suspicion. Why? Because he's an enemy of the state. He's a traitor. And every time you align yourself with him, you assume the same condemnation. You are putting your life at risk when you go make that visit. And so did Onesiphorus. And especially because of the fact, as Paul said, that he did it over and over again. And I want you to think for a moment about how encouraging that would have been. You're alone. It's cold. You're in solitary confinement. The only light in this dungeon is a hole in the ceiling. That's the only light and air that you have. But then every once in a while, you hear the familiar voice of a friend. Paul, it's Onesiphorus. I just wanted you to know you're not forgotten. And neither is the message that we proclaim. Paul, there are believers throughout this world who are remaining strong. Timothy, he's one of those. Take courage, Paul. Can you imagine what an encouragement that would have been to him? See, Onesiphorus was not just being a good friend. He was putting his life at risk, standing firm in the faith, even when the opposition was intimidating. That's the example that Paul is giving to Timothy and therefore to you and I. That's what it looks like to stand boldly for your faith, in some cases risking your life for what you believe. That's the example that he's giving us. So, with that in mind, here's what I'd like for you to consider. Would you consider this week making an effort to refresh someone? Make an effort. What links might you go to? What sacrifices might you make to be an encouragement to someone? Maybe you need to pursue a friend that you've abandoned and tell them that you're sorry. Maybe you need to reach out to the unlovely, the forgotten. Maybe some of the people who aren't here this morning because they can't be here. And they need you to show up at their door like Onesiphorus showed up at that prison and said you're not forgotten. The message of the gospel still saves. And we love you. It could be someone who knows Christ. It could be someone who doesn't. Either way, your goal is the same. As Paul is encouraging Timothy, your message is centered on Christ. That he will never leave you and never forsake you. That his salvation is secure. That you can rest in him. He is ultimately the treasure that our heart longs for most. And the more we value that treasure, the more diligently we guard it. Not just in what we say, but in how we live. By keeping our faith and our life centered on Christ. By submitting to His Spirit that transforms us to be more like Him. 
so that our testimony is a testimony of the experience of how Christ changes our life, that our hope is found in Him. Now, I know the reality that many of us might struggle when we see the opposition and we think in our heads, oh no, this isn't going to be good. And so many of us, in response to that, will have fear. We'll hide our faith. We won't let it be known. We might acknowledge that we're a Christian, but that's as far as the conversation goes, if it even goes that far. But let me encourage you to be bold in your faith, to stand strong in what you believe, because of the value of the treasure that you possess. You have a story to tell. You have a message of hope. Your life has been transformed. And that's something that you don't want to hide. Now, the other obstacle, other than fear, is shame. I'm not perfect. So why would I talk about what Jesus has done when I have not done so well myself? It's an obstacle to being honest about what we believe. Let me encourage you that if we confess our sins, that Jesus is always faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Just the recognition that His grace is eternal, which means it has no end. That it's always sufficient. That His power is perfected in our weakness. That if we will put our faith and trust in Him, it's not as if we have to present ourselves as having arrived. Here's our message. Jesus loves us just the way we are, and we're not perfect. But he loves us too much to leave us that way, and so he is constantly perfecting us so that we become more and more like him, so that we share the gospel in how we live. Our life tells that story. So be strong in what you believe. Stand boldly in your faith. Proclaim the message of the gospel, the treasure that we have, And guard it with all your life. And the more diligently you guard, the more value you prescribe. So let's stand strong. There's a passage that I want to read to you as we close. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. If you'll bow and pray with me, we'll kind of close with these words in mind. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Lord, you have given us a holy calling, a divine purpose, an eternal grace. And I believe that most every one of us are here this morning because we believe that's true. And we claim, proclaim it boldly within these walls. I pray with all my heart that we will proclaim it just as boldly when we walk out those doors. That we will not hide from what we believe to be true because the treasure is too great to be hidden from others when we could be, in fact, giving it away. May our story tell the, may our life tell the story of the transforming power of your gospel. Faith through Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.